you have to create a tremendous amount of pressure, number one, to stack weight on top of you and then to bend your body into a position, which if we're using a back squat as an example, you're going to, you're going to lower your center of gravity. So you're going to bend your ankles, your knees and your hips. And, and again, the, the degree of load will determine how much pressure that you need to create. To do that, you actually have to push into the ground. So you're actually pushing into the ground to lift the weight up, right? And that requires certain muscular and positional strategies that over time will train you not to turn. So you can increase the amount of pressure that you create. And so again, that you will have a structural adaptation. You will have a learned behavior of coordination that will teach you not to be able to turn anymore. Welcome to Reconsider, I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. We don't really have a pre-programmed intro, do we? What do you mean? I don't know. We don't have like a theme song or like a. Yeah, we do. Have you never watched? Have you never watched watch any of the videos? I don't watch anything that I do. Clearly. Yeah, clearly there <laughs> is Bill. So this is yeah. This is this could be our cold open of you just talking about how you've you've never watched any of the episodes of the podcast. Why? Why, why would I watch what I've done? It's like. Yes. Well, it's well because it's it's produced by it's it's produced and edited in in a way. I, I also I you net you don't remember anything that you talk about, so you probably should watch the things that I you talk about. I don't remember anything. I don't. Yeah, you should watch all of these. Well, eventually, as your your advanced age starts to take you into more of a cognitive <laughs> decline, you should you should probably revisit some of these things. Yeah, I know. It's like oh, well, it was. It was recently your birthday, so everyone that's watching this, please say happy birthday to Bill in the comments. <laughs> Thank you. What are you? Um, what are you? Sixty six now? What is how? I seventy two. Seventy seventy two with the mind of a thirty eight year old. And <laughs> in the body of a seventy two year old. <laughs> I am. I'm the actually, hips, uh, certainly the hips of a seventy two year old. Well, no, actually, let me think. Uh, technically, they're. 13 years old. Oh, they can't even drive yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I am 57. I'm actually 57. Yeah. So isn't that, is that the, isn't that the number of like the Heinz ingredients or something? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for that association that I I feel so much better about. I'll get you, I'll get you a hat with that 57 on it. That's actually going to be, that'd be perfect for your, your hat collection. (laughs) <laughs> my the, i have i have a hat collection they just all look exactly the same <laughs> so that will okay well let's call that that's uh so there's our painfully long cold open that hopefully nobody clicked on because we're not actually talking on. about we're not talking about anything yet but yeah welcome welcome back to the hey, podcast chris. hey chris what are we talking about today so last time on the podcast, we had introduced the concept of good versus bad exercises. So we're going to talk about that today. And then awesome. I think in there, I told a story about having a conversation on a different forum that I'm a part of about back squatting, being having some negative effects on rotational athletes. And some people got pretty up in arms about that because they don't like being told that certain exercises might not be the best. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today is that's the question that we get a lot 
Uh, we hear a lot, you hear a lot of people talking about like, this is something that everyone should do and do. everyone should, yeah. yeah, everybody should be able to squat to ask their, you know, ask to grass and get to their, their butt to their heels and everyone should to deadlift and hip hinge and everyone should do pull-ups and brachiating and hanging from things. And it's like, there's so much context that you have to sift through. Yeah. Well, everybody, everybody needs like the, the attention grabbing headline it's yeah only three exercises you'll ever need to do for the rest of your life and right then, the best and then, this, best and then they come out with the next exercise that you have to be able to do right which i never understood that i never said that yeah I think so let, let's we'll we'll talk let's talk a bit about what makes an exercise the wrong choice for a certain individual uh we could talk about what exercise what makes an exercise the right choice Okay. Um, and then we can try to fill in the gray area in between. Well, can we, can we just, can I just start with a little gray area? Sure. Okay. So there's an intention, like there should be an intention for everything that, that you're doing, right? That, that just stands to reason. Okay. And, uh, and a lot of that I think comes from whatever we would consider common knowledge, which would be the stuff that everybody reads and everybody watches and everybody sees. Like there, there are common elements within that that would get perpetuated by whomever, whether this be a coach, a trainer, a fitness enthusiast, whatever, you know, your brother, who, whomever has already done something and they go, oh, you should do this. So there would be an intention that would be sort of generalized. And then there are the consequences of, of doing that that might be favorable in regards to whatever your goal might be. So like if, if it's muscle mass, like you want to build mass, you want to build strength, you want to get faster, blah, 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 right? And so there might be some element of that that would be associated with that exercise. And then there are these secondary consequences and the tertiary consequences. And so there are consequences for all of your actions, but we're going to talk specifically about an exercise. And those are the things that I think go unrecognized, right? And so this is what starts all the arguments. Right. And the turf wars and then the, hey, I've been doing this for years and have never had a problem. Right. See if this resonates with you. You want to get back to the gym and get in shape. Maybe get back to playing golf or your favorite sport or get out and go for a run. Maybe you just want to move and feel better. But every time you restart, that old ache or strain rears its ugly head and interrupts your comeback. When I wrote All Gain No Pain for my patients who had completed their physical therapy, we knew what they were ready for. You're in a different space with a different starting point than before. You don't feel like a physical therapy patient, so you're going to need to approach this differently. With some guidance, you'll first need to reconstruct your movement foundation that takes your physical structure into consideration. You're going to have ongoing questions as you think differently, so you're going to need a like-minded, supportive community to support your progression. If you're ready to begin your reconstruction, we have a new group starting soon. So maybe we should just start with your little back squat situation yeah i was thinking like we can just pick on specific things like i'm thinking yeah, let's just do that and then we, but then we can use that we can use that as a context for what i just described yeah right. so let's um in the case of back squat so the the clickbait version of that is no one should back squat because it it robs your ability to rotate and it squeezes you too much front to back and it puts your shoulders at in a disadvantageous position or potentially injurious position um 
And then the opposite perspective is going to be back squats are the best for lower body power development and back squats are the pinnacle exercise of human performance and everyone needs to squat because it's it's a natural movement and it's a primal movement and it's whatever functional movement <laughs> you, you said it you Just said the in. word you Had said to. the word <laughs> oh man i get i'm get, i'm you know i'm 57 I, I could get some chest pain here like yeah i got a couple, you know, a couple of heart palpitations from that exactly oh what a horrible word under that circumstance um so both like all of that is potentially true right and so here, here we run into a little bit of a pickle because you know there's there's certain situations where all of that could be favorable like everything you said that was favorable that might be the perfect choice under the perfect circumstance for someone for a while and then there's there's the adaptations that take place that do produce those favorable consequences. So if you need to run fast, jump high, um, uh, run into people at high rates of speed, throw something harder and faster, like there there will be performance related consequences that are favorable. And then if you continue to produce the adaptation, that ad that same adaptation that was one moment favorable can now become detrimental in the same performance because the adaptation has gotten stronger increased cross-sectional area too much and you get interference it's like what why aren't okay the, the guys with the biggest strongest muscles in the whole world why aren't they the guys that can throw a baseball faster than everybody else because it, it actually produces some measure of interference or their physical structure was never going to allow that in the first place and then it got magnified but we can take somebody with some foundational structure, load them to a certain degree and literally enhance something and then eventually use the exact same strategy and take it away. That's the problem. And then that, but that hasn't been, that hasn't been fleshed out to a significant degree because there's always just been the argument of this is good for this, this is good for this kind of a concept. And, and again, we have to examine this from a longer term perspective. Right. And then everybody yeah. has their, their everybody has their bias and then they, they find things that they they like, they find things that they enjoy and they've been successful with. And now their bias is going to be strengthened. It's like, and, and then it's going to be the group of people that, you know, I've never had a problem with that. I don't know why you're bringing this up. And then they will continue to train other people or make recommendations to other people based on their perspective, not what is best for this other person. Right. And a lot of times they don't really even know what they don't know. And when you come from a fitness background and strength of strength and conditioning, the historically comes from a football training, powerlifting background. So the, the fundamental knowledge that this industry was sort of built off of was coming from that. So that's just, it's becomes embedded in Histor historically becomes embedded in the thought process of like all strength and conditioning programs that they're going to rely heavily on squatting, bench pressing, deadlifting, overhead pressing, mm -hmm. uh, doing some type of pull up. Like these are all these big compound movements that were predominant in all of these type of football training, powerlifting training programs. Those just kind of get like get adapted and co-opted by other trainers and it just becomes like these things that that uh it's like the dogma of strength and conditioning and fitness well because the foundation the foundation has been represented as higher levels of force production and those activities are ideal for it um, right because so we talk about 
we talk about things like like relative motion. So th this is the the opposing motion between segments of your body, and and when those motions exist, the the force the force producing capability actually is reduced under that circumstance. So when you demonstrate your your best mobility, if you will, it is typically not going to allow you the greatest level of force production. And so those exercises actually restrict that relative motion intentionally to allow the greater force production. And that's why they they are beneficial official under certain circumstances for a while, right? Until it becomes some measure of potential interference. Maybe you don't get there. Maybe you don't train hard enough or long enough, or your, your adaptive windows are just much greater than another individual. And so you never do reach the point where, where it would seem to be detrimental. But then there are people that don't have the same adaptability. They would follow the exact same program. And for them, under that circumstance, now they have interference. And so yeah. th these that will run into situations where maybe they develop a painful condition, maybe they develop a movement restriction that interferes with performance or produces pain. So I have a really, I thought of a really good example. This, this is an example that I typically give to clients. I work with a lot of golfers, higher level oh. golfers, wealthy people who love to golf because those oh. things kind of go hand in hand. But talking about powerlifting and force producing bilateral movements and being in love with the weight room and golf, I will always bring up Tiger Woods and the his progression of his body over the years. And I'll show pictures comparing his younger, the younger Tiger to the older buff jacked Tiger. You would yeah. think, okay, well, you take someone who's very talented at golf, who's very good at golf, and then we're just going to strength train the hell out of this person. Uh, they're going to get really muscular and really strong. So that's going to make them much better at their sport. Right. But, you know, this is obviously my opinion. Uh, this, there's no way to really prove this necessarily, but you know, if Tiger now is a, a little disclaimer right at the bottom of the screen during this segment to clarify. Yeah. That. Just, just to clarify that this is the opinion of, of me and not the opinion of the re, of recon universe LLC. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, you can you can see over time that you know Tiger as as a player who's experienced lots of has had surgeries and has it had to change his swing over and over again. That's because of the it, he you can you know there are accounts of Tiger enjoying training, sort of falling in love with training, falling in love with with the chasing numbers component and the militaristic fitness background type of things, like wanting to bench press heavier wanting to squat heavier and you can see over time that yes he did put on an appreciable amount of muscle and change his body but you can see the structure change and what we're right. talking about of these big compound movements squeezing the body and changing the shape of the body that we've mentioned in all of our previous podcasts that is the tiger woods example is the one i usually give because it is so significant you can see the difference and you can see what happened to him in his career um, yeah, just I mean, because... that, that, that is that is potentially correct yeah and i'm not yeah, saying I mean, that's for sure say, what happened yeah we, no I'm, I'm just saying it's like we have to say it, we have to say that 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 way right yeah yeah there's there could be other things but um it's always multifactorial but again there might be something that that's predominant and if you take somebody that has to produce a lot of a lot of rotation in their sport. And if you do take it away and they still continue to try to produce rotation and that rotation does not, um, uh, is not provided by sufficient relative movement between segments, this is where you get the wear and tear. 
right? Trying to remember which which back surgeries did he have? Um, I'm not really sure. I, he said multiple. I know that, but um, the same oh, the he, same concept. He, the same. He had a, he had a fusion. Oh, did, did he? Yeah. Um, these same consequences can happen to people that don't follow that rigorous a a fitness program, but for the same reasons. So, so their structure actually may produce this naturally just by the way that they manage gravity. So again, we can't blame everything on that. But when we do have an extreme representation, it does it does um, cause us to question the value. Um, the return on investment. And again, this it is a nice representation to use for discussing the secondary and tertiary consequences of an activity. Yeah, he had a bunch of spinal disectomies. Uh, Three hours later. Anyways, the long story short, if if depending on how I edited this, I Bill and I just walked through all of all of Tiger Woods' <laughs> surgeries. And it was basically just a bunch of left knee surgeries followed by just a laundry list of back surgeries. Right. And what, what we're trying, I guess what we're trying to what we're trying to get to, or what I was trying to get to is that well, why would like back squatting and bench pressing cause you to lose the ability to rotate and then have you have to get so much stress through your spinal segments? Well, from, from the from the perspective of the exercise itself, the exercise teaches you not to turn. Yeah. It is a bilateral symmetrical exercise with very, very high force production. Um, the consequences of turning under such a load um, would probably be um, worthy of, of some me measure of wear and tear, potential injury, et cetera. Um, it, but it would also affect your ability just to execute the exercise effectively to, to the desired level, right? Um, so the one of the things that are associated with, with the higher force production, we talk about this incessantly, is the fact that, that, that you have to create a tremendous amount of pressure, number one, to stack weight on top of you, and then to bend your body into a position, which if we're using a back squat as an example, you're going you're gonna to lower your center of gravity, so you're going to bend your ankles, your knees, and your hips, and, and again, the, the degree of load will determine how much pressure that you need to create. To do that, you actually have to push into the ground. So you're actually pushing into the ground to lift the weight up, right? And that requires certain muscular and positional strategies that over time will train you not to turn. So you can increase the amount of pressure that you create. And so again, that you will have a structural adaptation. You will have a learned behavior of coordination that will teach you not to be able to turn anymore. We are well designed um, based on, on our physical structures. That's how we do everything is with rotations and turns. If you look at every joint in your body, there's going to be a, a what's called a helical orientation. So this is a turning orientation that is in every joint movement that we have. Take those away and now you have undesired load and pressure in specific areas that might show up as again, progressive wear and tear or, or a traumatic injury. Yeah. And I want everyone listening to this to not, well, anyone that got super offended by us saying that, you know, back squatting might not be a good activity. They probably already clicked off. So we don't have to worry <laughs> so much about them, but it's, it's important to, to recognize that Bill and I aren't saying squatting is bad or that back squatting is bad for everyone, but it, it is, 
Yeah, it's why why would you would need it? Like who you would need it for? If if the goal is to increase force production and and try to create like a stiff, you know, representation athletically, like an offensive lineman, a sumo wrestler, like someone that takes a lot of contact and needs to build that sort of stiffness, yeah. then yeah, sure, like go ahead. If your if your sport requires you to back squat, if you are a multi-sport CrossFit athlete or a a uh, power lifter, then you certainly do need to do those things. Well, okay, let's 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 take this to the to the other end of the uh, spectrum here. If you're if you're a a a mom who has um, had multiple pregnancies, you have internal dynamics that are affected by by pregnancy, right? And you can actually benefit from restoring the ability to manage the internal pressure. And so we would use squatting behaviors and even a back squat to actually enhance their ability to recover the normal behavior of their, of their, uh, their pelvis. So, so again, this would be falling into the guise of like pelvic floor issues, which is, tends to be a little bit more, more female oriented in, in many circumstances. Um, it's usually discussed as such in 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 uh, dealing with females more so than males. Males have it all the time too, but yeah. we would actually use we would actually use the same activities. But again, these are all these are all being used judiciously to provide a desired result while managing any undesired consequences. Right. That's right. why supervision matters. That's why that's why having guidance matters. Right. Rather yeah. than just falling in love with something. Like and then defending it, you know, when when it does become de like detrimental to your own cause, right? And and you know, refusing to see an alternative perspective, you right. have you have to so, reconsider. You have to reconsider. Yeah, right? that's the, uh, since since we're already a, we're already so far into this conversation. I think we're just going to talk about the back squat today and squatting today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's fine. I mean, honestly, we could talk about squatting today. We could talk about deadlifting. We could talk about bench pressing. We could talk about overhead pressing. We could talk about each one of these things as a single episode, probably. But if we're sticking with the squat, if that's okay with you. Okay. Um, I think it's, we should talk about, because in the past we've talked about squatting and how certain structural and configuration archetypes are better suited to squat okay. just because of the helical orientation. And then we can talk about how like the normal progression for people that squat and then they get hurt and what they want to keep squatting is they slowly start to move, shift the weight into different places. So a back squat becomes a front squat, becomes a safety bar squat, becomes a zercher squat, becomes a goblet squat. It's like, what, what is that progression that people tend to take as they progress with squatting where back squatting starts to bother their shoulders and their neck and their low back. So they have to they, they want to keep squatting, but they have to change how they squat. Like, let's talk about that um, as well. So maybe what would be the best place to jump into that? Well, start you, you start with a back squat. Like, what is it, what is it going to take away? Or Yeah. Or maybe, maybe we'll, talk about the tra we'll talk about trade-offs. We can talk about trade-offs. Yeah. Okay. So, so. We we have people that are are going to be better squatters than others. They're gonna they're gonna tend to be your slender, more vertically oriented people, like by design. Like they're just better squatters than they are deadlifters. So, what 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 we're gonna have to talk about is like we're gonna have to we're gonna, <laughs> one of my least favorite topics is like the squat versus a 
hinging activity. Um, it's not a great representation, like, but it's but it's common jargon in in the industry, right? So a deadlift would fall into the categories of of hinging versus a squat, even though many things that are branded with the word squat are actually much more like the the uh, pelvic orientation and and body position of what would be categorized as a hinge or a deadlift, right? <laughs> Like many of the box squats that are like, again, they, they get categorized as a squat when the reality is they're very similar. They're more similar to, again, the, the deadlifting behaviors than you would say for somebody that could actually squat deep and upright. Should should we both grab our pelvises again and then <laughs> to show what the difference is between can, the two? Can you do that? I, I can. Do you, you have it? Do you have it handy? I have mine, yeah. I mean, the basic are are you are you speaking to the difference between counter nutation and nutation and what yeah. happens with the pelvis? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's squatting. Okay. Tap on that thingy. Tap on that thingy from with your knuckles. Yeah. You you can't hear it for some reason. That's that's funny. You can usually hear it when I tap on. It. Yeah. It's plastic. It's not real. It's not a real pelvis. Real pelvis doesn't move like this, but it's kind of like that enough that we can talk about it, right? Right. We can show the difference between the two two extremes of of a representation of somebody that would be a better squatter. Um, yeah, they're going to have a, a little bit different shape to their their pelvis, generally speaking. And we're talking about we're talking about what would be somebody that could lower their center of gravity straight down between their feet effectively. This is not somebody that has to make great adaptations and you know moving. Um, wide bases of support. So you're moving your feet really, really far apart to be able to access a position, although there are cases where that might be, be required. But generally speaking, we're just talking about certain pelvises are just better um, in certain positions. And, and so those people that might be a better deadlifter versus a, a squatter would have a, a more... Would you, would you show that, that pelvis for me real quick, Chris? A deadlifter? Yeah, that like a deadlifter. Yeah, so th so they're gonna have a yeah. There you go. And so again, that's gonna be a little bit more of a a nutated sacral position under most circumstances. Right. And all Bill, when Bill talked, or we talk about nutation versus counternutation, is just is that this is the Latin thing again, right? Doesn't that just mean nod? Something like that. Yes. Yeah. So that's for for nutation being like this forward sort of position of the sacrum that like. It's kind of shaped right. like my hand this way, right. and then counternutation being back. So counternutation and this sort of expanded uh, version of the pelvis allows for everything and the the guts specifically to drop straight down. So that would that would set me up to be better squatter. And then the counternutation is that forward nod of the the sacrum that's going to allow the the hips to kind of shift straight back, and that's what we would typically see as like a hinging motion. So. It's more of a bending at the hips versus a dropping straight down like an elevator. Yeah. And, and for all those people that in their minds are watching this and, and thinking, well, there's other things to consider. Yes, there are other things to consider because you have different shapes um, that influence the position of the hip socket itself. There's going to be differences in femur shape that will influence what, what positions you can actually acquire. We're just speaking generally and, and showing some of the representative extremes that would that would push you in one direction of being what a, a good squatter versus some other modified variation um, that would be yeah. 
say squat, right? Yeah, Bill is preempting the the nerd that comes in to talk about the uh, the Scottish hip and the uh, the the uh, the acetabulum retroversion and antiversion. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so there are all those things, and and we do understand that. We're like I said, we're just trying to speak generally for it. Yeah. And in order to in order to get across this sort of gen, have this general conversation, we have to speak of the extremes. So we usually talk about narrow and wide. And we're talking about we just talked about and showed the counter nutation versus nutation. And these are the ends of the, the spectrum. And there's a billion different versions of what's in between. Probably close to eight billion would be my my. Yeah. Opinion. Eight billion versions of eight what's in between. Billion. Only only growing every day. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we we do have we do have that that structural element that will that will bias you in one direction or the other. Now, if we if we go back to the back squat, now there are certain positions that we're going to be associated with that that is going to prevent the ability to create a, a certain shape. And so, if you think about if you got to put a bar across the the your shoulders behind your neck, that's going to result in certain positions of bones, certain activity of muscles that's going to create a limitation in the ability for certain certain areas to, to be able to move. And again, that's just part of the exercise that's supposed to happen under those circumstances. Under well-trained circumstances, so that those adaptations can be strong enough that they get carried over to all activities. And this is this is one of those issues that that again, this is the secondary consequence. It's like, well, I've never been hurt in the gym before. And then you bend over to pick up a pencil off the floor. And then that's where you might notice something that you can no longer access a certain position. You can no longer touch your toes easily because you're giving up movement in some capacity to be able to perform this this other activity. And in this case, we're talking about, about a back squat. Um, yeah. You want to move to like other variations of squats and why you might might find yourself gravitating. Towards. Yeah, I mean, it's like we we talked about structural differences that would predispose certain people to being better at certain exercises than another. I think understanding that like the we're trying to say that there isn't one exercise to rule them all, and a lot of times the back squat is sort of presented as that. It's like the the one ring. Isn't to isn't rule it them all king? Of like it is representative of the king of all exercises. Yeah, well, some people you can only would do one exercise, that. Chris. Which which would it be? And then I think that uh, Iron Man magazine from 1985 would have said that that it is the back squat. That would be the one exercise. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but yeah, and that's it's like who we can yeah we can talk about variations of squatting, but it's more of like what what about the back squat might detract from let's use, let's use a different example. We talked about golfers and we talked about the squeeze robbing the ability to rotate with ease, but let's talk about like um, why a, a baseball pitcher or a, a uh, outside hitter in volleyball or someone else that needs to a, a javelin thrower, why these people that need to have this ability to move their upper part of their rib cage and their shoulder blades, why like there might be a negative second or secondary or tertiary consequence to stacking weight on that space right so so the, the and let's just use that space between the the shoulder blades so in the upper back yeah. area yeah so the inability for that area to move well influences shoulder motion in in some people and so, well, let's think about a thrower. It's like there's going to be a great deal of, of shoulder motion in all of those people that, that you mentioned. And so under that circumstance, if I don't have sufficient rotation in that circumstance, then 
obviously, if I can't access enough enough position, I would limit the, the range of motion. So I may not have enough time to produce enough velocity on the implement that I'm throwing. So a baseball, javelin, et cetera, right? On the other end of the situation, if I'm a shot putter that doesn't have those same range of motion demands, might be the perfect thing to do. Yeah. Well, I also want to restrict some of that, some of that motion because it will enhance my ability to produce force. But I have a much right. heavier, I have a much heavier implement under that circumstance. And so then again, the secondary consequences associated with that might be the performance enhancer under that certain circumstance. Okay. And let's if we play the if we play the I understand your argument better than you do game. You have the people that come in and uh, if you want to win an argument, if you understand the, the counter argument better than they do, it helps. Uh, so the, the people that come to and they say like, well, you're worried about rotation and you're worried about throwers. The Some of the people that can throw heavy objects, the farthest in the world, all do these exercises and they rotate really well. And it's like, well, not really. Have you ever seen a shop putter rotating in the circle? It's it's what Bill refers to as a refrigerator turn. Yeah. Yeah. Even the spinners, like even the guys that, yeah. that, that spin to throw, like, yes, they're they are rotating, they're pivoting yes. on their foot. But the but the amount of relative rotation that they're producing per segment is minimal. Yeah, and you can see if you just look at their feet as they very spin. Yeah, it's a it's yeah. A, very the, a, gol a golfer, a well positioned golfer with a beautiful swing. Look, if you look at their feet and the rotation that happens for them versus the feet and the rotation that happens in the circle with a thrower, it's very different. Oh, quite a bit, quite a bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, a, a golf swing, a golf swing, uh, a baseball pitch, all all very elegant, actually. Yes. Um, when, you, when you look at them in slow motion, it's actually because they require, bad. yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like when you, when you learn something about these, these activities, and then you do see them and, and you see them in, in these controlled situations where you can slow them down and you can see all these little cool representations about how positions and movement are produced. It's, it's really fascinating. And then you make the comparison to like some of the larger, larger type throwers it's like then you start to see oh they really don't do it the same way there are elements right. that are absolutely um along the the uh the same um behaviors but yeah they're, they're quite a bit different ultimately well, that's that it's it's it comes down to that force i think force velocity relationship as well it's yeah. the the higher force that you need to produce to throw a, a heavier implement it's going to sort of it's going to sort of overtake the ability to move with ease and high velocity. Right. Right. Cause they're yeah. not, they're not throwing, yeah, they're not throwing the shot, but particularly fast, not as not compared to a baseball. Well, okay. So, so we can make this comparison because we kind of know a little bit about, about these things. I don't know what, I don't know what the, what the velocity is in regards to shot put, but I can make a comparison between a baseball pitch and a boxer, like a high level boxer throwing a punch. I'd say so, it's similar. Well, well, it's not. It's it's, it's, it's like, it seems that way. No, no, no. no. I, I meant. Um, sorry. I meant uh, like a boxer to a shot putter would oh, be oh. more similar than a baseball pitch yeah. to. Yeah, like you, like you know, you, you got. I don't know. I don't know what the gloves are now. Are they, are they ten ounce, eight eight ounce gloves for for championship match, maybe. Anyway, uh, baseball's five ounces, so the velocity is very very high. So you're looking at between seven thousand and nine thousand degrees per second. Okay, that's that that may be the fastest movement that we can produce athletically. Um, and if you think about how fast this is, just stand up, swing your arm around in one revolution 
in, in a second. So, so to get your arm all the way around in one second, okay? Um, and then do that 20 times in a second. And then you have the relative velocity of the arm when you're throwing a major league pitch, okay? Yeah. A boxer, on the other hand, throws a punch at about 1200 degrees per second, right? So, so you're looking at, you know, a, a, it, even as fast as it may be, it, it's incredibly slow relative to a, to a baseball pitch being thrown. Okay, which means that I have to have these segmental velocities, right? Um, again, so you think about the, the, the relative positions that are accessed during a baseball pitch and then the positions of a boxing punch are actually quite different. Therefore, um, the velocity can be produced to a greater degree in the, in the baseball pitch, right? I have greater excursion, right? So for a boxer, do they need to be able to turn and rotate? Absolutely. Do they need to be able to turn and rotate relative to a baseball pitcher? Probably not. Okay. So we would see a more heavily muscled boxer, right? With higher force producing capabilities still has to rotate, but not to the same degree. And so we may, may see that the exercise selection would change under those circumstances. Right. So we've gotten, we've, we've completely gotten away from, from squatting there, but that's okay. Well, but again, it's like, we, we could still use the back squat as that example. But yeah, yeah, and it's important. We're just, we're talking about, you know, display of motion and uh, versus like the ability to compress. Right, right. Sure, they live on different ends of that spectrum. Absolutely, like, yeah, so, yeah. So again, velocity, when, when you think about squeezing to produce force, um, it is the opposite strategy to produce velocity. I have to be able to, to re-expand myself and actually produce a turn to demonstrate the greatest degree of velocity. And that's yeah. ultimately what we're talking about with, with the big exercises, again, like a back squat. It's like, okay, some good, too much, potentially detrimental. So yeah, then then so going piggybacking off of that, as we as we change the position of the load in a squatting activity, we can capture more expansion just based on where the center of gravity ends up. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so let's talk about that. Well, I mean, you you compare a back squat. It's like so so for me to rest the bar on my shoulders in that position, um, the the scap scapulae will approximate so your shoulder blades will approximate that closes a bunch of space there posteriorly and then depending on the degree of load there's going to be a squeeze that's going to be associated with that however if i move the bar to the front of the shoulder from from a position of of placing the weight over my center of gravity i would actually have to change the shape of my thorax um, which would have a lesser consequence of compression on the on the backside and the upper back like we would see in the back squat. So what I may find is that type of a squat doesn't have the same degree of interference in my ability to produce rotation, um, position my arm for, for a sport. So that might be a better selection. If I was someone that was dealing with shoulder issues, I might choose um, an alternative variation where the position of the load would be different. So maybe uh, a back squat produces some, some sort of problem in the shoulder, front squat, maybe not so much, or then I choose another alternative, which places the, the shoulder in a different position, which allows another shape change to occur in the axial skeleton. So that'd be yeah. like a goblet squat, a zercher squat, or something along those lines. 
Right, because of the the influence of the where the arm position changes where our body can expand and not. Right. And then you're also dealing with degree of load in that position because there's certainly other positions that you cannot certainly load to the same degree that you could a back squat. I mean, I don't know what the current world record is as to what somebody could squat under that circumstance, but um, I would hazard to guess that a the world record zercher squat is not nearly the same as the world record in the back squat. Right. Which is why I don't think they do competition zercher squats anywhere, except maybe maybe strongman would would. They, they do some. Yeah, period. they do. I mean, they do like they, they'll carry that big log yeah. around the circle in a zercher position. So a lot of guys actually pass Conan, out. Conan's that. wheel? Is that Conan's wheel? Yeah, something like that. I forgot oh, what it's yeah. called. They, they all have like really cool names. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen several guys like this pass is here out. with our amazing strong knowledge and capability. Yeah. Well, our, our amazing <laughs> knowledge of like all of these things. Like we don't know. Yeah, we don't know enough about about uh shot putting either well haven't looked at it yet right. okay well that was that was a bit of a journey into squatting <laughs> i guess we, we we touched on a lot of different things we we took a took a little break there to research tiger woods back surgery so <laughs> depending on my my editing prowess we'll see how much of that so, actually ends so up I, I guess here's my question what was today's topic was today's topic about good versus bad exercises, squatting, or secondary consequences? A little bit of all of them, I guess. I mean, well, it's like the, the, yeah, well, the conversation about good versus bad exercises, it's the, that conversation can be pretty short. It's like, well, what's the goal? And then, you know, who's, who's the person I'm, that I'm working with or who's the, the so it's, it's just the, if, as long as you can build the context and you understand the consequences. So I think what we did is we we explained what the secondary consequences and trade-offs are of doing a squat in that particular way and by doing powerlifting style exercises what the what the negative consequences can be and what the the positive consequences can be as well. Um it's just that, that we could talk about any of these particular exercises for an hour a piece. Yeah. So I guess in the future we'll talk about we can talk about you know deadlifting and maybe we'll just talk about the the big three with us that squat bench deadlift sure we could do that yeah we can just talk about that and we'll continue next time we'll we could talk about the bench press and we'll talk right. about the yeah we'll talk about the we'll use some examples again of sport and uh just the the positives and negatives and what the position actually entails mm -hmm. What is what is the most popular day uh, to bench press? Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. <laughs> Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com. Get your neuro coffee, better coffee, better brain, and synthesis, better protein, better body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders.